me start with a question this morning. Do you believe there's more going on in this world than you can see? I'm not talking about what you fantasize about or what you think about when you go to a movie or read a book about a fantasy, but I'm talking about really. Do you believe there's more going on than what you can see, or do you think that the world is just pretty much natural? My, my guess is that there are things that have happened in your life, if you've lived any length of time, that you look back on and you say to yourself, that wasn't really normal. That wasn't really natural. That was unusual. That's something for which there is no normal or reasonable explanation. I, I'm going to cherry pick from my life and tell you a couple of stories. And it's not that my stories are any better than yours. It's just that I know mine. I'm telling you these stories in the hopes that perhaps it will arise in your mind some thoughts of similar things that have happened in your life. But there are a number of things that I look back on as I look back on my life that I, I just say to myself, there really isn't any reasonable explanation for that. <laughs> I'm thinking about one that happened when I was a teenager. I started leading worship in my church before I was 16, slightly before my 16th birthday. And, and that sounds crazy, but it was the early 70s, and you just had to be there. It was a youth time. It was a time for, for young people to, to do stuff. And my church just thought it was the most normal thing in the world that I would lead congregational music. It was a traditional church back in that day, very, very different from New Spring. We would lead hymns, and then I would lead the choir and the song that I had rehearsed them with. And then there would be what we called a special. Now, if you're from a traditional church, you know what a special is. A special is a solo. It's like the church goes American Idol for a few moments. And... <laughs> In our church, we had two primary solos. We had a guy and a gal, and they were really good vocalists. And we, I sort of toggled back and forth and scheduled the guy one week and the gal one week. And, and by the middle of my 16th year, I had actually, God had begun to deal with me about preaching. And I'd actually preached a, a couple of times in my church. And later on, I would start preaching a lot of youth conferences that the summer of my junior year. But this was before that, and I'd only preached a couple of times. But I was accustomed to leading music. And the reason why I tell you that is we were... A relatively small Baptist church that we were, we were on the hottest rock and roll station in Dallas for one hour on Sunday morning. That was a, it had to be the most peculiar juxtaposition because I'm telling you, this was the biggest, hottest, you know, 20 or under something, 20 something or under rock and roll station in Dallas. And then at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, there's this traditional Baptist church with hymns and, and, and a special and a 40 minute sermon. And I used to laugh to myself because I was thinking, I wonder how many people are really high and still strung out on Sunday morning, you know, and they're listening to the music and all of a sudden this comes on and they're, you know, especially if they're using psychedelic drugs, they say, wow. Uh, <laughs> but sure enough, foo, we flip a switch and we're on live. And whatever happened in our worship center, that was what was going out over the hottest rock and roll station in Dallas for an hour. And uh, I remember one day, um, we'd, we'd finished, I'd led the congregation in worship and it was time for the solo and then my dad was going to bring the 40 minute talk but he came coughing over to me, he couldn't get his voice and he said, Mark, I can't speak this morning, you have to speak. I had the length of time, about a three and a half minute song, I had the length of time from the beginning of the song to the end of the song, take a three by five card, sketch out a few scripture verses and preach for 40 minutes and I'd only spoken like twice before that. And I'm terrified to know what I said. I mean, if God kept it on record, I don't know if I'll have the nerve to watch it when I get to heaven. But it, it, was, just, it was just the times. But um, 
Probably what I'm thinking about right now, though, the interplay between the, di the disc jockeys and my dad was really interesting to watch because my dad and the disc jockeys at this station couldn't have been more dissimilar. My dad was a conservative Baptist pastor, and these guys were all what we used to call hippies. And they weren't wannabes. They were real, by George, summer of love, hippies. I mean, you know, long hair, beads, uh, and every kind of drug you can imagine. But the, my dad has always had a quality about him that even though he's taken strong stands, my dad makes friends with people that, that think very differently from him. And I remember him, you know, short-haired, middle-aged guy. He was really close to those DJs, and they loved him, and they called him Reverend out of respect. Dad didn't usually like that title, but they, they, they were respectful to him, and they were kind of interested in me because they thought it was cool that a 16-year-old kid was leading worship, and so we, we got to be friends. I'll just tell you that for a reason. One Sunday morning, my dad woke me up before daybreak. He knocked on the door of my bedroom, and, and, I, and, I, and I, he came in. He said, Mark, i got to ask you a question. He said, did you call the station in the middle of the night? And I said, no. He said, you didn't, and he named one of the disc jockeys. He, and he said, you didn't call him and talk to him? And I said, no. I don't talk in my sleep, and I don't think I did it. And he said, well, he called the house a few minutes ago, and he said he was really distraught and even thinking about suicide. And that he said, Mark called me at 2.45 this morning and read scriptures to me and stopped me. Now, instantly, I'm starting to look for a natural explanation. I, I am not a spiritual person by nature. I, I struggle with spirituality. So I started thinking to myself, well, what could happen? Well, the guy was constantly strung out on drugs. I mean, I don't think he ever came down. He was high. I figured he was high in the middle of the morning. And back then, they kept, because we were live, they kept a reel-to-reel prepared with a sermon queued up, ready to go in case something went wrong with the live broadcast. I just figured he was so high or strung out that he accidentally hit or kicked one of the levers and started the reel-to-reel, -reel, and he heard a sermon in which I was giving scriptures, and he listened to the sermon and couldn't tell the difference between a tape and a phone call. He was in that shape most of the time. <laughs> and I didn't think about it for years. It was about 10 or 11 years later and I was coming from my office to the house in, in, in Fort Worth, and, and I was listening to a, a Christian radio station, KCBI, which was the, the biggest Christian radio station in Dallas. If you're from Dallas, you know that. It's based out of First Baptist Church of Dallas, and, and I was listening to it, and, and it, was a, it was an interview. I, th I think they were hosting the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Dallas that particular year, and Christian broadcasters come from all over the country. And the particular guy who was being interviewed was an executive with a Christian radio network. He was, he, he was over like hundreds of stations, and he, was an, he wasn't a broadcaster, he was an executive, and he was talking about his work, and, and it was really interesting to listen to him. But after a few moments, the interviewer said to him, well, you have some history here in the Metroplex, don't you? And he said, you have a really cool story, why don't you tell it? He said, yeah, in the early 70s, I was at, and he named the station we were on, and he said, I was a DJ, he said, I was crazy. I was on drugs all the time. I strung out one night, and he said, I was so low. I was about to take my life. And he said, a guy named Mark called and read scripture to me, and he said, that started my journey to Christ. <laughs> and now the guy was an executive in Christian broadcasting. You explain that to me. I've thought about it for years. I have no idea. I just ask you a question. I said, is there more going on than we can see? Or is it all down to what we can see and explain in the natural realm? Let me give you one that's a little more personal. I remember very well something that happened in September of 2006. And it was just right before we began our explosive growth trend here at New Spring. I was in the Dallas area conducting a, a conference. I'd been there for like five days. I'd spoken 
many times in those five days. After the last night of the conference, I went back to my hotel room there in Grand Prairie and slept for a few hours. And, and I'm just this way. If I'm by myself, Mary Alice is not with me. When a conference is over, I want to get home as fast as I can. So I don't wait till daylight. I, I start driving in the middle of the night. And I took off about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I got to the Oklahoma border, and I called Mary Alice, and we talked for a few moments. She said, is it, is it raining where you are? I said, oh, it's not raining. It's bone dry. And the moment I said that, it started raining right at the Oklahoma border, Oklahoma-Texas border. When I get to heaven, one of the, people, a lot of people have big questions they want to ask God when they get to heaven. What is my purpose? You know, uh, ex- explain the sovereignty of God. When I get to heaven, I want to know one thing. Why did you put Oklahoma between Texas and Kansas? That's what I want to know. Because not, driving through Oklahoma, as I'll have to do this afternoon, uh, driving through Oklahoma wasn't just long. I'm telling you, when you have to drive through Oklahoma in pelting rain, it was really a long, long drive. Now, here's what you really should know. For years, I've driven Honda Accords, which is a fairly good-sized car. But I got away from God and bought a Toyota. And, <laughs> well, for all you Toyota owners, really, it wasn't a Toyota. It was a Scion. It was, the gas prices had spiked. And I thought, I need something really, really small and fuel efficient. So I went over to the Toyota lot, and I saw a Scion, which is a car for young, young adults and teenagers. I saw a Scion TC, little coupe, and it started calling to me. And it said, I need you. <laughs> and, and so I thought, well, it probably does. It looks sad. So I, I, I traded my Accord for this little tiny Scion coupe, and I drove it around for a while. But anyway, I'm driving this Scion coupe all the way through Oklahoma in the rain, and I'm thinking, boy, this is a tiny car to be driving in. But anyway, I made it all the way through Oklahoma, got into the promised land of Kansas, actually got on the turnpike, and I'm at mile marker 38, so I'm getting pretty close to Wichita. And I'm thinking about, man, I'm going to be home in a, few, in a little bit. And it was raining still, but not raining hard, and the wind had picked up a little bit, and it was gusting. I have no exactly, idea exactly how this happened, because I've never had it happen before or since. I didn't hit my brakes. I didn't skid. I'm just driving around a gentle bend at 73 miles an hour. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the back end of my car gave way. I have never had that feeling before. That is, if you've never had that feeling, that is one of the most terrifying feelings you can possibly have. Because all of a sudden, you have no control. And the next thing I know, I am headed backward, the Kansas Turnpike, at 70 miles an hour. Now, it is amazing how that your mind can think of voluminous things in milliseconds. Because I had many thoughts as my car was going backward up the road. I realized at that point my steering wheel is no good. If I jerk it, I'm going to... Well, I had two thoughts, honestly. I really, I had two thoughts on my mind. I thought, number one, I'm going to hit something very hard. And the second thought was, all the traffic behind me is now coming head on. And at that moment, it's a strange thing. I I can't tell you how long my car was just going backward up the highway where I had a chance to think about things. Now, I think I did pray. It's amazing how moments like that will teach you how to pray. For all of you who pray stained glass prayers, oh, thou God, you don't pray like that. It's help. What I remember about that is that gently, though, it's like, I can remember this like it happened a few minutes ago. My car just slid over just without any screeching or anything, just edged over into the concrete embankment there in the middle, or not embankment, but the border, 
and it just it shredded the right side of my car, but brought my car gently to a stop, didn't even fire the airbags. But what I remember most, I can still see this in my mind, there was a lot of traffic, but it was as if it was held back by an invisible hand about a quarter mile. And and the cars were just packed in a line, but they were like a quarter mile back. I had enough time to switch off my ignition, hit my ignition, hit my hazard lights, and run over to the side of the road. And I just stood there and said, hey, God, that wasn't normal. You know, I wasn't born. I was born at night, but not last night. And I know how some of you are thinking especially some of you who have my personality, you would say, Mark, that was coincidence. You were very lucky that day. Lucky is the word we would use. You were very lucky. It just happened. It could have happened a dozen different ways. But it was coincidence. It was physics. It was just mechanics. It was just circumstances you were, some of, some of you out there would just say it was all natural stuff. You were lucky. Others of you might have a different point of view. Others of you might think about the fact that I was entering in the most important season of my career in ministry. And you might wonder if not perhaps for just a few brief seconds I came into the middle of a cosmic conflict between two very powerful forces. And maybe one side pushed the back of my car, and the other side caught me. Do you believe there's more going on than you can see? It it pretty much comes down to your search for truth. Everybody here today is on a quest for truth. You may be very organized about it. You may be very systematic about it. You may have explored comparative religions, you may have explored philosophy, you may be a a seeker, you may be a modern Diogenes, you you may be a seeker for truth, it's something that's orchestrated in your life. On the other hand, you could be totally disorganized and you can just take life as it comes. But in any event, all of us are on a quest for truth. But here's something that I'm going to say to you that you may never have heard before. And I, I don't mean that because I have some sort of superior knowledge. I'm just telling you what I'm about to tell you is something that rarely would ever be admitted by either side, you know, of course, there is a conflict of thought between those who believe in supernatural things and a God, and there are those who do not really believe in God, and they don't believe in supernatural. They believe that all things are basically natural. But here's the reason why you may never have heard what I'm about to say. There is a concession that is an equal concession by both groups, and since we don't usually make concessions, it's very possible that since both sides would have to make this concession, you've never heard this before. But I'm going to go ahead and and make the concession today. You and I should understand very clearly that nobody starts their search for truth from neutrality. We all start with a bias. You either start your quest for truth with the bias that there is no God, therefore everything is natural, or you start your search for truth with the bias that there is a God. There is no neutrality. Now, if you started your search for truth with the idea that there is no God, you probably would try to assuage any concern about that by saying, well, if I happen to run across God, then perhaps I will add him to my intellectual repertoire. But life just does not work that way. We tend to start with one bias or the other. So you you tend to either believe, yes, there is a supernatural, or no, there is not a supernatural, and everything is natural. 
Now, up to that point, that's merely a belief. But it, it enters the practical when it goes to this level, and it will go to this level. If you believe that there is no God, if you have started your quest, and, and you may, now you may have a God somewhere out there on the periphery that you say, well, maybe there is, I'm an agnostic, maybe there is a God, or I'm a spiritual person, maybe there's a God out there. But if, but, but if your God is not some, someone or something that's real, here's how you're going to basically look at life. You're going to say all things that appear ordered are coincidental. I have friends who are agnostic, I have friends who are atheists, and one of the things, even though I'm, I don't agree with them, one of the things that I appreciate the most about my very honest agnostic and atheist friends, I, I appreciate their honesty. Because if a person does not believe in God, then that person cannot believe in purpose. If there is no God, then all things are coincidental, all things are random. It would be hypocritical for an atheist to believe in purpose. Purpose is something that is the product of design. And I'm always grateful when my atheist friends admit the fact that, no, I, I think everything is random. Everything is coincidental. Everything is rolls of the cosmic dice. All we are is dust in the wind. If you, you've started your search for quests with the idea that there is no God and there is no supernatural, then all things that appear ordered are coincidental. My story about the guy in Texas, you're saying, I don't know what happened. Maybe the guy's still strung out on drugs. When you listen to my story about being in an accident, you just say those things happen. All things that appear ordered or not ordered, they are coincidental. If, on the other hand, you have begun your search for truth with a belief in God, this is where it gets really interesting. All things that appear coincidental are ordered. Now, in America, for the first 200 years of our existence, chances are you would have been trained, we, none of us grew up in this time frame, you would have been trained to believe that there is a God. So you would have started your search, your quest for truth with the assumption that there is a God. Even if you went to Harvard University or Yale or Princeton, even if you went to what the, any of the Ivy League schools that would have all been around in that era, these were places where God was taught. This is, these were places where the Bible was taught. There was a, a consensus of feeling among Americans that yes, indeed, there was a God. In the last 75 years, that's flipped, however, I know I was taught evolution from the second grade on, and let's be honest about evolution. It is the Genesis 1-1 of atheism. It is the explanation of origins of the religion of atheism. In the last 75 years, we have been taught to pursue our search for truth with the assumption that there is no God, so therefore, everything that we have to explain has natural origins. Now, we don't know what natural is, and we don't know why there's a natural order, and we can't explain that natural order, but we just sort of accept that. See, here's the thing. Just like God followers accept the premise that there is a God, people who are not God followers accept the premise that there is an inexplicable nature. All I'm saying is, it's not neutral. Well, I'm going to be talking for the next six weeks about a world that we can't see. And I know that it's going to push us at times. And there are going to be times when you're going to say, this is the freakiest sermon I've ever heard in church. And I'm going to fire that shot across the bow. And I'm going to tell you, not being a spiritual person, it's a challenge for me. But there are certain things that the Bible tells us. And you know what? Here's what's interesting about it. The more I explore it, the more it rings true in my life. I don't know how many people will be at New Spring this weekend. Maybe as many as 5,000. We all come from different backgrounds. Some of you come from very conservative, 
traditional church backgrounds. Some of you come from Baptist backgrounds. Others of you may come from a Catholic background. You may come from a Pentecostal background. You may come from, you may have multiple religious experiences. You may come from an agnostic background or a completely secularist background. I mean, we come from many backgrounds here at New Spring, and it's one of the cool things about meeting here and, and <clears throat> being able to meet and just talk about, uh, talk about life. But let me just see if we can all get to a particular starting point today. And, and again, you won't have to agree with everything, but let me just ask you a question. Would you regard yourself a spiritual person? Would you say today, I, I don't know if I believe in God, I don't know who Jesus is perhaps, I'm not sure I believe the Bible is the Word of God, but I am a spiritual person. Many people tell me that today. Well, that's, that's a good place to start because if you are a spiritual person, here's what you are saying. You're saying, I agree, there's more going on than I can see. It isn't just the world of the physical. It's not just the world of the normal. It's not just the world of the natural. There is more going on than I can see. I believe there is a spirit world. If you could get to that place, I would like to take you one step further. It is the spirit world that matters most. See, because we go by what we can see and what we can feel, hear, and sense, we tend to put a bonus on the physical world and we tend to underestimate the importance of the spiritual world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us we have it all backwards because everything we can see, everything that's material is going to disappear, but everything that is invisible, every spirit is going to go on forever. Let's take a few moments to look at what the Bible has to say about spirits. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what God looks like? There's the old story about the kids. This is one of the oldest stories about kids in art class in, in first grade. And, and the boy was drawing a picture, and the teacher asked him what he was drawing. He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, nobody knows what God looks like. And he said, they will when I get through. <laughs> what does God look like? Is God like, does he look like us? Is he just like a million times our size? You know, what is God like? What does he look like? Well, the fact of the matter is God does not have a body. God is a spirit. He is invisible. See, spirits are not limited. You and I are limited because we're, we live within the city limits of a body, but a spirit is not limited. I love what Abraham Lincoln said to the people of his hometown of Springfield when he was getting on the train to go to Washington. He would never see them again, by the way. But Lincoln bid a fond farewell to the fellow Springfield citizens, and he said, I commend you to the one who can both go with me and stay with you. I love that. God is a spirit. John 4, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, God's a spirit, and the people who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't bring, you know, in some cultures they bring food to leave at the tomb of their ancestors for the gods, and we don't bring food for God because God does not eat. He is a spirit. Well, God is a spirit. What about angels? Do you believe in angels? The Bible tells us that some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Do you believe in angels? You say, yes, Mark, I know what angels look like. They all are white. They have wings. They have halos. No. Angels take many forms. If you would read the Bible, you would discover that angels can look very peculiar. And the important thing is angels really don't have bodies. Angels are spirits. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Angels are spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. By the way, isn't it cool to know that God has sent angels to help us? I'm telling you, as risky as I live my life, I need lots of angels around me. Angels are spirits. 
They can take forms. They have taken forms. You read about, I'm going to tell you in a moment, that Satan was an angel. He took the form of a snake in the Garden of Eden. But he's not a snake. He's a, he's a spirit. That's, let's go to that right now. If angels are spirits, then we know that Satan is a spirit because the Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 14, you were the anointed cherub. Cherub is a particular kind of angel. Satan is an angel. Don't get the idea that Satan is going around somewhere, you know, in some sort of hideous appearance in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. No, that's from superstition. He's a spirit. Demons. Who are demons? You say, oh, I know what demons look like. I've seen the movies. No, you don't know what demons look like because demons are spirits. Angels, demons are fallen angels. You can read about this in Revelation 12, verse 4. It looks like a third of the angels went with Satan when he rebelled against God. And we know those angels who rebelled against God as demons. And if angels are spirits, then demons are spirits. They are invisible. Last week, I'm not going to try to prove this because I spent a whole week doing it, but last week, if you pull up the message, you'll find out that you are a spirit. We think of ourselves as bodies, but we're not bodies. We live in our bodies. Remember the quote from C.S. Lewis, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. So God is a spirit, the angels are spirits, Satan is a spirit, demons are spirits, you and I are spirits. So basically, we're in a world that is beyond what we can see. Somebody could say, well, Mark, please don't go there today because I'm really scared now. I'm having enough trouble with the world that I can see, and now you're telling me there's a world that I can't see. Well, you just nailed the issue without realizing it. And here's what I hope I can, because today I'm only going to give you a piece of the puzzle. Really, today's talk's just going to raise more questions than give answers. But if you don't get anything else out of today's talk, what you and I must grasp if we're going to cope with life We must grasp that a lot of the issues that appear to come from the world that we can see are really coming from the world that we can't see. And if we try to deal with it with the world that we can see, we're going to screw up a lot of relationships, make ourselves very unhappy, lose some friendships, maybe blow up a family. We're going to to destroy a lot of our lives if we think that the issues that we deal with are coming from the world that we can see when instead they are spiritual problems from spiritual warfare. I want to leave you with two key verses today when it comes to to the cosmic struggle that we're in. And I'm going to come back to these verses again and again and again. But these are two verses that you need more than any other. Here's the first one. The first one is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And it says, you and I are in a struggle. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't do that kind of thing much. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you feel like you're in a struggle? How many of you feel pushback? How many of you feel that life is just tough. Sometimes you can explain the origin of the toughness. Other times you can't. It's like it's tough getting out of bed. It's tough facing the day. It's like, Mark, there, my life, I feel like I'm getting pushback. Let me take another step. How many of you have gone through seasons that were especially difficult and you didn't see it coming? It just sort of came out of nowhere, but all of a sudden life got very difficult and there was a lot of pushback. So Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, you're not wrong. It's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a feeling that you have. Ephesians 6 12 says it's right. You do have a struggle. But look at this. This is one of the most important things I'm going to teach you in the six weeks. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now see the words flesh and blood. What does that mean? That's just a euphemism for people. Let's just read it that way. Our struggle is not against people. 
Now, I'm going to give you a lot of concepts for six weeks. Let me just tell you this, and I can tell you this firsthand because I've been working on this for months as God has been teaching me these things in the Bible. This will be the hardest thing that you and I will have to get because it feels like our struggle is with people. You say, Mark, if God knew my mother-in-law, he would not have put that in the Bible. My struggle is with my mother-in-law. My struggle is with my husband. My struggle is with my wife. Oh, my struggle is with my kids. My struggle is with somebody I work with. My struggle is with my boss. My struggle is with the neighborhood committee. My struggle is with people. And God is saying, no. Not if you're a Christ follower. Your struggle is never against people. Why? And we'll see this in just a moment. I don't want to give it away before I get there. But our struggle is in the spiritual realm. Our struggle is with forces that we can't see. What we don't understand is that the people that we're fighting with, they're not combatants. They're not our enemies. They are victims. Why would we fight victims? I know this is calling us to a higher level. And not everybody here is going to grasp this. There are going to be some who are going to walk away and say, well, this is not for me but some of you are going to get it. I want you to just don't. In my office somewhere, there's a big word that just says imagine. That's my personality. I have a vivid imagination. I want you to imagine a world. I want you to imagine a place full of Christ followers that really got this. Imagine what it would be like if we said to ourselves, no matter what I deal with, I'm never fighting against people. Do you realize that no marriage would have to break up over conflict? Do you know that there would have to be no parent-child estrangements? Do you realize that no friendship would ever have to break up over conflict? Do you realize that you would never have to feel any conflict with anybody at work? And being a pastor and loving the church, I wonder myself sometimes, imagine a world where Christ followers never made enemies out of people. One of the things that breaks my heart about the church, and, and, and listen, guys, I, I'm not a liberal when it comes to the Scriptures. If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And, and I will stand for anything Scripture says. But sometimes in the church, what's happened is, I don't mean New Spring, but a lot of times churches have made enemies out of people who disagree with some part of the Bible. They make enemies out of people whose lifestyles are not lined up with the Bible, and somehow we get into this idea that it's us against them, and there are people out in our world that need God so desperately, and okay, yeah, their lives are not right, their lives are not what God wants them to be, but they're almost afraid to walk into the church because they've got the idea the church is their enemy. We, we missed it. Somehow we thought we were fighting against them. We don't fight against people. Imagine, what if you never saw your wife as the enemy? You never saw your husband as the enemy. You never saw your kids as the enemy. You never saw your neighbors. Even if they, This is the big one. Even if they looked at you as the enemy, you said, hey, I'm not going to fight a victim. Well, <laughs> cosmic soldier, take a deep breath. You ready for this? Because this is really going to stretch some of us here today. I'm about to lose a handful of you. Who's our fight with? 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, we just got a listing of four enemies that we do fight against, but here's the one thing we do know. Those four, whatever they mean, they are not, say it real loud, they are not, they're not people because we know we don't fight against people. So now all of a sudden we know we're fighting against entities, we're fighting against beings, but they're not people. Well, here's the tough part. Here's the part that's a challenge for me, not being very much of a spiritual person. I have to realize that those are four terms for demons. Those are four terms for demonic forces. It's like four different ways of looking at different demon beings. Now, here's the deal. Lose the Constantine movie. Lose all the stuff you've ever seen about demons being hideous and all that kind of stuff. That's superstition. Demons are angels. Angels are spirits. They're invisible. They're sophisticated. They're brilliant. These are angels, beings that God created. God created them to help you and me, but they rebelled against God and they followed Satan. But here's, we start learning some very interesting things about demons because what we discover is that Satan has his army of demons in a hierarchy, just like an army. Rulers there refers to some who have high position. Authorities refers to their power. They have superhuman evil, evil power. And then the third one is really kind of interesting. It says powers of the dark world, but if you look at the Greek language, it literally means world rulers. Evidently, and I'm going to back it up in just a moment with the Bible, evidently Satan has assigned particular demons to different parts of the world, different countries. I'm sort of curious what kind of demon would draw the Wichita assignment, but then that's just my weird sense of humor. Now, you say, well, Mark, I don't know about that. Okay, I want to read something to you out of the book of Daniel, because there's a place in the book of Daniel where Daniel prayed, and he asked God for an answer, and he was asking about end-time events. Now, listen, just listen to the language. An angel came to, to answer Daniel's prayer. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, who's one of the archangels, came to help me. I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Drop down to verse 20. Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. That freaks me out, but I have no choice. It's in Scripture. This angel said, look, I, I came on assignment from God to give you the information to deliver the word, but on the way down here, the particular demon that was assigned to Persia got into a fight with me. I had to deal with him for a little while. Michael, archangel, came. He helped me. I left that guy with Michael. I came here. I'm going to go back when I get through and open up a can with the prince of Persia again. And, and then when I get through with him, the prince of Greece is going to come. So, so here's what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We don't wrestle with people. We're dealing with demons who have position. We're dealing with demonic forces who have super, superhuman evil power. We're dealing with ones that have been assigned to various places. And here's the one that really gets to me. Number four, spiritual forces of evil. Let me tell you what that means. Literally, it means agents of depravity. Is it just me or is it getting really filthy out there? Been to a movie lately? You watch television lately? I watch commercials. I feel like I need a shower. I mean, and here's the weird part. We just sort of accept it after a while. Man, it's a sewage pool out there. 
What you and I need to understand is that's not happening naturally. That's not happening because, you know, just there's some sort of moral gravity out there that just pulls us down to a lower level. No, it's not, it's not the case at all. They're agents of depravity, and, and they, of course, are against God. God is pure. God is holy. God is right. God is all about, you know, having a sex life, one man and one woman for one lifetime. I mean, God is all about that. God is all about people having, you know, pure minds and pure hearts. But the enemy, of course, hates God and hates everything about him. They're agents of depravity. Yeah. Here's, let me just tell you, when I started studying this, this is sort of new to me because I am not one of these guys that, you know, studies this a whole lot. I look at this and I have two reactions. My first reaction is, Lord, if it's all right with you, I don't want to fight demons. I want to fight people. I have more experience fighting people and I have all kinds of weapons that I've really honed. I know how to fight people. I know how to ask them out. I know how to yell at them. I know how to get even with them. So Lord, just let me fight with people. And when I start thinking about demons, I want to think, that's God's problem, not my problem. New Spring, you listening to me? The Bible doesn't say it's God's fight, although certainly it is. The Bible says we struggle, we wrestle with all of these demon forces. Now, in case anybody here today is getting really scared, let me just tell you, you don't need to be afraid about this at all because, in fact, it's, it's something that you need to have great joy and great peace about. And here's the deal. You need, to have, you need to have joy that you've been called to be a cosmic soldier. I mean, we don't fight against people. We're fighting a higher level of battle. But, but here's the thing. Remember this. You have God's strength to help you you have God's armor to help you, and you have divine weapons. Well, let, me, let me read to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, in other words, there are going to be seasons of your life when you're going to have greater satanic attack than other times. I know all about that. But the Bible says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And I love Isaiah 54, 17. It says, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. In other words, throughout all the generations, God's people have had this thing that as long as they're God's man, God's woman, in God's time doing God's work, nothing can touch them. So you shouldn't be afraid. It could still be that somebody would say, well, Mark, I, I just don't want to be part of this. You don't have any choice. Whether you're a God follower or you don't even believe in God, you don't have any choice. If you're a God follower, you certainly have a target painted on you. Even if you're not a God follower, Satan hates you because God made you. Have you ever been pulled into a conflict just because of who you were? How many of you have been, no, don't, raise your hand, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have been through a strike? Isn't a strike a weird thing? I mean, before the strike, everybody gets along pretty well. Labor and management. But I mean, have you ever just been into a conflict? Your labor. I mean, you like your boss. You, you think she's great. She's, she's a wonderful supervisor. Your friends, you talk about family and issues and, and you think the world ever, but boy, she's management. <laughs> or are the people that, you know, you hired them. You wanted them to work on your team. You brought them in. They're, they're, they're your team. You love them. But now you're having to cross the picket line and they're out there with angry faces holding a sign yelling. Uh, because your management. Sometimes you just get pulled into a conflict. You may not want to get pulled into it, but it's just who you are. 
when I was 16. I was junior in high school. And uh, I had a job, and I spent all my money on clothes. You can tell I've outgrown that. <laughs> but uh, I spent all my money on clothes, so I had nice clothes. And, and my dad made me cut my hair back. Back in the day, everybody had long hair, and my hair was short. So I looked older than I was. I'll tell you that for a reason. But I, I'd, always gotten, I'd always gotten along great at school. I never had any issues. But all of a sudden, in the middle of my junior year, I started having people coming. People I didn't even know threatened to hurt me. And, and the funniest part about it was I would have some that would threaten to fight me. They, and you can imagine when they'd say, I can't use the language. But they, they, they would tell me what they were going to do. And they would say, you show, I'll meet you at a certain place. And, and I would go there, and they wouldn't be there. This happened several times. I thought, you know, if you, if, if you say you're going to do whatever to me and to meet you at a certain place, and I go there, I expect to find you there. And I go, and they wouldn't show up. So I thought, this is the weirdest thing in the world. First of all, why am I being threatened by people that don't even know me? Why is it that when I show up, they don't show up? And then one day, someone told me. They said, Mark, the word is going around on campus that you're a narc. Do you know what a narc is? All you baby boomers out there, don't give me that innocent look. You know what a narc is. Drug enforcement agencies, police officers... Police, police departments would sometimes put very young-looking officers in high schools, and they would, in, they, would, they would appear to enroll as a student, and basically their job was to infiltrate and to find out who was dealing drugs. Well, man, I was in a school with thousands of students in the middle of Fort Worth. Drugs were everywhere. You know, there was smoking in the boys' room. It smelled like burning rope in every boys' restroom. And the word was out that I was a narc. Well, yeah, I'm going to get threats, but of course, obviously, nobody's going to show up to fight a police officer. <laughs> I got pulled into a conflict just because of who I was. Well, you're, you're pulled into this conflict, and it, you and I don't have anything to say about it. We could say, I don't want to fight, but we don't have any choice. It's cosmic warfare. But as I said, you don't have anything to worry about because, number one, you have armor. Now, I'm not going to be able to talk about it today, but I'm going to spend a whole weekend talking about the armor, how you need to dress yourself. And begin, remember, these aren't, these aren't human armaments. These are spiritual. These are spiritual qualities that if you have in your life, you're protected, that no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. Isn't that cool? But that's just half the story. God doesn't want you just being a defensive soldier. God wants you to take it to the kingdom of darkness. God wants you to fight. I now want to take you to the second most important scripture of this series. Um, oh, how did I get? Am I 10 minutes over time? Oh, my soul. Okay, I'm going to give you this real quick and then I'll be through, all right? Talk real fast. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. God is saying, okay, I'm not just leaving you to defend yourself. I'm giving you divine weapons. So that when you go after the enemy, you're not just defending yourself. You're actually gaining ground for the kingdom. Now, here's the deal. And we're going to start this next week. In fact, next week I'm starting a, a, a talk called It's Not a Fair Fight, and it's, going, it's called Going Nuclear. And when I say it's not a fair fight, it's, it's not fair because you've got the upper hand. But God is saying, look, here's the deal. Don't worry about going out and fighting the enemy because I'm going to give you some God weapons. 
And the Bible says that God weapons are powerful to the demolition, is what the Greek word means, the demolition of strongholds. Do you know what a stronghold is? Let me give you this. I promise I'll be through. I am so sorry I've gone this far into overtime. I'll start folding up my stuff because it looks like I'm getting through, okay? Okay. Do you know how Satan fights? I mean, we get so superstitious. It's just laughable. Satan must laugh at us. Satan and his demons don't make stuff go bump in the night. They don't make doors open and close. Don't make people's heads spin around. Now I know where the baby boomers who watch The Exorcist are. No. He's smart. He's sophisticated. He's the father of lies. Here's how he works. He deals in cultural lies and in specific lies that are calculated to deal you and bluff you out of what's precious to you. That's how he works. He tells you a lie. If we act upon it, we get deeper until finally we've got a scenario and a situation that's got a hold on us or on our family. A stronghold is a lie that Satan believes is so definitive that it's the final word. Maybe the stronghold would sound like your marriage is over. There's nothing you can do about it. Your kid's a jerk. He'll always be on drugs. He'll always be a mouthy brat. You may as well give up on him. You're a loser. Your career's over. Stronghold. <laughs> hey, man, you're going to always be hooked on porn. But cosmic warriors say, I don't believe that's the end of the story here. Because, you see, I, I, I'm not fighting flesh and blood. I'm a cosmic soldier. I have divine armor, and I have divine weapons. And the Bible says that the divine weapons that we have are so powerful that they can demolish strongholds. That lie that Satan has crafted to bluff you out of what's precious, that he feels like the final word, and there's no sense in discussing it any further. It's just you saying, I believe we will discuss a little more here because I don't think I have to listen to you. I belong to God. I'm a cosmic soldier. I'm a woman of God. I'm a man of God, and it's not over. In fact, I'm just now getting started. That's what this is all about. I'm sorry to break it right there. Next week, I'll pick it up. Thank you for letting me go into overtime. And when you have to, <laughs> when you have to go pick up your kids this late, just tell them it's Mark's fault, okay? All right, here's the deal. Let me just, give me 30 more seconds. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life, why don't you do that right now, Okay. He will come in free. You, he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll build a relationship with you. Let's all pray together. If you've never received Christ, pray with me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me unconditionally, that you died for my sins. Please forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen.